Lit House is a podcast from the House of Literature in Oslo, presenting adapted versions of lectures and conversations featuring international writers and thinkers. In this episode, you can hear a conversation between the Turkish writer and Nobel laureate Orhan Pamuk and Professor of Cultural History at the University of Oslo, Helge Jordheim, from when the red-haired woman came out in Norwegian. The conversation took place on May 24th, 2017. Welcome. It's good to have you here on this stage. Um, I think I should start by saying that you've, you've been in Oslo for a couple of days, right? And yes. you have been talking, you're giving another talk or another reading discussion uh, where you discussed the power of objects, we could say, the power of things. And I, I think for this occasion, we move on, we move to discuss the power of stories, of tales, of myths, of fables, of well, basically the power of literature. So that will be sort of our, the, the topic we're going to discuss today. Uh, and our occasion is then this, this book, The Red-Haired Woman, that I all uh, recommend you to, to buy and read, of course. And I guess my, my, my first question is, I mean, over so many years you've, you've perfectioned the art of writing big, meandering, complex, detailed novels uh, about cities and about modern life in the modern or postmodernist sense, uh, whatever you want. So why have you now written a novel that is sort of has the simplicity and the symmetry of a sort of a philosophical fable? It's, it's so different, and it's, it has something very different from things you've written before that has to do with stories and fables, I think. Okay, I don't know about the simplicity. I'll come back to that later. <laughs> um, but so the, uh, I am imposed on myself uh, a sort of a, impose on myself to write a short novel. <laughs> um, uh, uh, I'm not. Uh, I always want to write short stories. Uh, somehow I cannot write them, or somehow I cannot start them. Maybe, uh, but I wanted to write a short novel. Also, um, I am also intimidated by the idea that I am writing long novels. Maybe I should tell this anecdote to you that many years, maybe 20 years ago, I, uh, uh, when I was a younger author, of course, but in my early novels are more focused on this uh, upper-middle-class neighborhood of Nishantash, mm -hmm. secular, westernized uh, bourgeoisie lived there. And in Black Book, in my first novel, Jevdet Bey and His Sons, and later in Museum of Innocence, and also in other novels, in, these th in the first three, I uh, mention, not to mention, that's the background. In other novels, I also mention, even this character in Snow, which is a political novel mm. in Far East, the character is from Nishantash. I focused on that neighborhood because this is where I started life, as all authors do. You start with the first point, and it's bigger circle, bigger circle. Uh, anyway, I was walking in the streets one day, 20 years ago, as I said, uh, more like an aunt-like elderly lady stopped me. Oh, hello, Mr. Pamuk. I know you. You don't know me. I'm just a reader. I like your books, blah, blah, blah. Then she said, then I said, thank you, thank you. I was really happy. <laughs> then she said, what do you do now? I'm writing another novel. <laughs> and she said, okay, make it long. <laughs> uh, 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 may, uh, uh, may, maybe I'm a victim of that lady, but of course, uh, uh, but of course I'm simplifying things. 
James Joyce started Ulysses as a short story <laughs> and end up with that. Some, some writers have encyclopedic imagination, enlarge everything. But this time I said, I don't want to write long novel. Okay, so impose on yourself. Make it an ethical duty. So I did it in the end. I don't know whether I did it sim simplifying my language, but I definitely wanted to write a short novel. By my standards, it's a short novel. It's less than 200 pages in Turkish. It gets a bit longer in translation, and here the uh, typo is a bit bigger. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it, I agree. This, it's, a, it's a short novel, a short, short, shortish novel, um, uh, but it... it it, it treats other, it's, it's sort of a, a tale that treats other tales, that talks about other tales, other stories, other myths. And it raises a big question, a big, big question. Is it, how, what, what role can stories, tales, myths, fables play in, in this modern globalized world, right? Okay. Uh, especially those two myths that, that was mentioned earlier. So that's sort of the, the gambit of the book. What, 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 what are stories to us? Okay, maybe I should tell this. Maybe the, uh, those of us who haven't read the book will think it's a uh, comparative literature essay. <laughs> uh, it is not. It is both two things trying to be uh, intermingled in one book, in one novel. A, we will come back to that. Uh, <laughs> a, a, a story of digging a well, a realistic story of a digging, digging a well in a barren land, and the, uh, there is the master, and there is the disciple, or the assistant, whatever you call it, um, or a sort of a, a master and slave Hegelian relationship. Apprentice is the word. Apprentice is the word. We, often we put it by the side, William Masters. We will talk about We will we'll talk about yeah, William yeah, Masters' apprentice yeah, later. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, and the other side, this is if the novel has two sides, the other side, now we're gonna, you're opening uh, a conversation about that, is based on an idea I carried in my head for many, many years. In fact, this happens many times in my life that two projects, essays, two... Um, two books intermingled together. Mm -hmm. I, um, uh, I'll, I'll come back to the realist side, uh, but this has interested me very much. You know, we all know about um, 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 Sophocles, Oedipus Rex. I am, by the side, a chaired professor at Columbia University, and when a new student enrolls, we um, give them one year of canon, you know, Western, mostly Western canon, and Oedipus Rex, Sophocles version of it, is important. Um, uh, there are many uh, uh, Oedipus stories, but Sophocles version was uh, staged in 1880s in Paris, successful, moved to Vienna, uh, Dr. Sigmund Freud saw it. Wow, it's mm -hmm. just perfect for me, he said. <laughs> uh, why? Because he's interested in parricide, killing the father. He also wrote an essay about Karamazov Brothers, another popular book of the time, which is about the same subject, or partly about the same subject. So he wrote an article, and with his fame, so, uh, Sophocles, Oedipus Rex went up, 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 up. That's why probably we or other professor, mm. I'm, not, I'm not teaching it, uh, teach that at Columbia. 
considered to be one of the uh, essential canons of Western civilization. Now, if you read um, Firdevsi's Shahname, 11th century uh, Persian author's Book of Kings, which is a sort of a comp compilation of um, nightly stories about kings, but essentially a Persian uh, um, um, story, a, a compilation of stories, and the biggest Persian classics, maybe uh, to confirm it, I should say it's a penguin classic, <laughs> uh, 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 in which there is a story, uh, um, Rus, uh, Rustam and Suhram. Rustam is the major king character in Shahnameh, and of course, like these characters and many, many medieval compendiums of stories, he lives many, many centuries. But in one of the short, brief episodes, he goes to another country, actually, towards Turkey, and has an affair with insistent girl, and leaves her pregnant, and leaves a child. And then many years later, or after that, he is always worried meeting his son has an anxiety like Freudian anxiety, like maybe I'll do something wrong to him, whether I should know my son, has an anxiety of meeting or even doing something wrong. And as of course, just like in Oedipus Rex, he, by without knowing it, kills his son. In Oedipus Rex, Oedipus, without knowing, kills his father. So I thought, Wow, uh, being a professor at Columbia, but even before that, oh, why don't I compare these? These are perfect for me. Why don't I compare them one day? But then the realistic story uh, combined with it. I can go towards the comparison. I can go with the realist story. What's your uh, next question? So, so, my <laughs> <laughs> so I, think, I think it's a good idea now. So we have those two myths. We have this wonderful symmetry of a, of a Western myth of uh, <coughs> Phillicide, no, of patricide, Pat sorry, and an eastern myth of Phillicide. So there's on the one on the western side, there's a son killing his father. On the eastern side, there's a father killing his son. So now we want to know, uh, what does this have to do with, okay, with the, then I'll the go story? Back to, what kind of a story Okay, then I'll go telling? back to the story, why I, why I saw some things in comparing, right. and I'm happy I did this. If I wrote a flat uh, um, a, on essay, professor kind of academic essay, it wouldn't be interesting. But this realistic story helped. Right. In okay, so I'll come with the 1990. Uh, uh, in 1990s, or no, 1988 or 89, I forgot, when I was finishing, having passionately writing Black Book, sometimes I consider it the book that I find my voice. Uh, um, we were in with my wife in um, Büyük, uh, no, Hey Belada, uh, one of the islands of, uh, in Istanbul, and she used to go to work every day, or no, she was doing research, but anyway, um, and I would sit at home, and then one day I saw in the land, empty land next to us, they begin to dig a well. Uh, and just like in the book, they came and built their tent. Uh, in the first night, they couldn't build it, just like in the book. Um, it, they were awkward about it, giggling about it. <laughs> um, different than the book, the master a bit younger, uh, um, the teenage apprentice uh, um, a bit older. So they, uh, uh, and they uh, had a, just like in the book, 
had a TV set, one of the earliest in Turkey. Mm. Then around five o'clock, just like in the book, they would put a pot and do a little bit of a cooking, some vegetables, some, and continue working. Uh, at seven, when the sun was going down, or eight, or whatever, uh, they would eat. And that was their life. Mm. And I was also <laughs> writing and observing. Uh, then they occasionally also went downtown, or down, around town, what I say downtown, is the summer village where 10 minutes of walking and come back. But most of the time, as I return with my uh, ex-wife back, I would see them sleeping. That would touch me. Mm. That I would. Mm. Then they also said, sir, they came approach me. Sir, can we have some electricity? Can we mm. benefit from your water? And then a sort of a friendship or whatever you call it, developed. Then, this is my professional sign. One day I said, you know, uh, I was not famous then. Even if I was famous, they wouldn't be knowing me. I said, can we talk? I'm a, uh, no, I'm a writer. And the guy was really forthcoming. But he didn't tell me this story then. But he told me about his life, which, as is usual, I recorded, then um, typed it up, typed and saved it. But it stayed with me. Then, maybe, now 25 years later, it... I, I, you know, I have many projects like this in my mind. I think all authors have. But your subconscious, some part of your mind, is preoccupied with it. Mm. For me, it happens many times. You have, I say, 17 projects. Two, two of them mm. come together mm. and marry. Mm. I don't object. Mm. So, the, uh, um, so I decided to write about the authoritarian or the master's relationship with the disciple, mm. uh, also relating this to Oedipus uh, and Rostam. Um, and, and for quite a long time, I begin to work on this. Mm. My, as I said, my third uh, um, limitation, and as T.S. Eliot said, creativity is best when there are limitations. Uh, my third limitation was to make, write a short novel. So my models were, and it's obvious, Hemingway's The Old Man and the Sea, uh, Petit Prince, Exupéry, mm. or Turgenev's two books here, uh, The First Love, uh, the, um, where the boy discovers that his father, that the girl he's in love with, his father had an affair with, uh, had already an affair with, or fathers and sons. Um, books like that, short, which has some uh, fast, I wouldn't say thriller, but fast moving. Mm. So the uh, realism of the interest of the realism holds uh, uh, also embraces the philosophy or comparative literature, whatever you said. Mm. Um, uh, so I decided uh, I, the novel was already forming mm. in my head. Short novel, uh, well-digging, problems of welding in. After that, for the realist side, I interviewed many Veldigers, but maybe we'll talk later. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, exactly. So we have this we have this setup. We have those two myths that we talked about. Then we have Veldigging. But then, I mean, there, there are elements that we can recognize from your earlier work that you have a, a violent death. That is sort of so. It's part of an investigation. I mean, it's an investigative plot also. But we we're wondering who who did anyone kill anyone, right? And then we have a, a love story in there. So I mean, you you use this frame to put in very different and interesting plot that you combine, right? Okay. First, violent death is in literature is not my invention. 
Nope. Um, uh, I can not, agree. <laughs> <laughs> and also, saying this in Scandinavia is also uh, where there's a lot of detective fiction and novels based on murder. Uh, uh, and also, love stories is also uh, very. So, I was aiming to, uh, at a normal literature with philosophical background, uh, a realist story uh, which aims at a higher comparative literature, philosophical or my subject, a little bit of a shy comparisons of civilizations east-west, but I'll have to also be very careful, very uh, tip, uh, walk tenderly, because I'm very much afraid of making essentialist generalizations mm. while fiction works with them. Mm. Then also, my professor side says, Orhan, don't be, be uh, making rough essentialist generalizations about civilizations, while my side of says that fiction works this way, mm. or fiction works with this kind of generalization. Very cautious about mm. these things, and maybe less cautious when I'm doing interviews about the delicate subject, but I'm tempted by the subject too. Right. So uh, you're less delicate now. That's interesting. I'm going to keep mm -hmm. that in my mind. Mm -hmm. Because obviously this, this, this also have a, has a political side, quite obviously. Yes. You, you point to that. You I say, yeah. well, this is also a problem of despotism. And you say that quite, quite... Yes, I wouldn't say despotism. Okay, then I'll go move one, one, one or two steps further, with your permission. Yes, of course. Okay, what happens to us when we read or see these stories on stage? When we watch or read Oedipus Sophocles, uh, the text demands, or modern interpretation of the text demands, we understand pity or feel pity or compassion towards Oedipus Rex. What does he do? He kills his father, uh, sleeps with his mother, transgresses, breaks the taboos. Uh, uh, the text, on the other hand, modern, especially modern interpretation of it, Sophocles will even be... Sophocles, who wrote 200 plays, very little of them is around, yeah. some 10 are found, uh, would be amazed to see his, everyone is teaching him in West or he's mm. now that. Uh, but um, it, because it is us, the moderns, who elevated him in that, to that level. And as we elevated him, we also interpreted his text. Mm. And what we did was we focused our compassion, understanding for the uh, killing uh, the, the son who kills his father, because that's uh, such a big taboo, but we are understanding his individuality. Yes. We are honoring, in fact, when we go and clap and uh, follow Oedipus uh, uh, so, uh, killing his father, blinding himself, uh, very sorry, we understand. It's a tragedy. Mm -hmm. We are happy with our compassion, and we, in the end, honor and highlight uh, his individuality. We say he is in tragic situation, but we are human beings, he is a human being, we understand his individuality and, um, and respect mm -hmm. it. The reading of it in, say, late 19th century in West was honoring individuality. Mm -hmm. While what happens, you know, uh, the story of Rustam and Sohrab, it's a different story, but in the end, uh, uh, let me underline the similarities. 
just as Oedipus Rex kills his father without knowing it's his father, Rustam also kills his son without knowing it's, it's his um, son. In Rustam's story, there's the accompanying um, mother crying, crying, but we identify with that, respect that. That is it's a, also sort of a tragedy, but Persian text doesn't say I'm a tragedy. They don't know what is a tragedy. <laughs> I am saying that uh -huh, because that's a different yeah. civilization in a way, in many ways. But what what is also that that Shehname uh, was a canonical in a geography from what today we call um, Calcutta, um, uh, uh, Eastern India, <coughs> Bangladesh what we today call India, then Pakistan, then Iran, then uh, Afghanistan, then uh, Iran, then Northern Iraq, Syria, then Ottoman Empire uh, going to Balkans, was in many ways, especially in mid-15th, 16th, 17th century, is all but one civilization. The, uh, the intellectual power, in, in that was Persia. They looked for Persia for models. If you want to be an important Ottoman, you know, um, scribe or intellect, whatever, these are all relative words, you have to know these things. Books were very expensive. No one read these books. They would come in simplified form, hearsay. You wouldn't find a Penguin edition of Shahnameh. Mm -hmm. Shahnameh's in Topkapı Palace is copies of it are very expensive things. They will be maybe popular versions of this, but these myths uh, survived by oral stories, mm -hmm. by repetitions, or by poets who were in writing them in long po uh, narrative poems again and again, mm -hmm. also adding something from themselves. Right. But these stories stayed. And you can, if you Google, go home and Google, say um, Rustam and Suhra, and Google images or videos, you would see, say, Kazakhstan movies about Rustam and mm. Suhra, or um, that part of geography. Or just like um, um, Romeo and Juliet, Shakespeare's version of it, and West Side Story. Yeah. They, they don't tell you that this is an interpretation or adaptation, whatever, yeah. of the old uh, Rustam and Suhra, but you see a film and you uh, re 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 relieve the old yeah. sentiments yeah. again. So they are, in both stories, are canonical. Uh, so I decide, um, uh, uh, but look at, let's look at what we do when we also read Rustab and Suhram. When uh, I told you uh, that when we read or see on stage Oedipus Rex, we feel compassion towards the son killing his father. In more or less, we feel the same compassion toward father mm. this time killing his son. And then, why does he kill his son? What is the legitimization? Mm. My book is also yeah. uh, helping you to, f towards my interpretation. He kills his son. He is a good man, actually. Mm. But the nation, the mm. tribe, the government, the state, right. unfortunately, needs that he kill his son. Right. Uh, because there is war. Right. There are right. good guys and bad guys. And his son, unfortunately, is on the bad side. And the continuity of the throne, the, um, the continuation of the state, more, uh, um, uh, that the preservation of the state is more important than the father's feelings towards his son. Yeah, yeah. That is, 
the government, the state can be authoritarian, can be rough, can be cruel, so that we all live happily. Exactly. Yeah. So I attribute this to authoritarianism we see in my part of the world. Mm. Not everything is that simple as I pointed out, mm. but in a short novel, I want to mm. make this simplification. Mm. So I, in the novel, we have two stories, two myths intermingled with a story. One is legitimacy of individualism. The other is legitimacy of the uh, state or king or powerful authoritarianism that even kills the beloved son. Right. So as you put it so beautifully, there's no punishment for the for the for for the one who kills his son, the Eastern yes, uh, ruler who kills his son. Yeah, there's no I, punishment, and, and and there is punishment for Oedipus, obviously. Uh, yes, yeah. I agree. Uh, but Oedipus' punishment is self-punishment. Absolutely. Uh, uh, and uh, and in the and, and and you know. Uh, in classic, uh, Oedipus' classical interpretation, that I've read this, of course, from books, is that actually Oedipus punished in, when in, in Sophocles' time, not because mostly he killed his father, and uh, um, because uh, um, Oedipus, according to old Greek interpretation, is punished, not because he killed his father, but they tell, this is going to happen to you, this mm. is your fate, but he is individual. Uh, he No, I'll mm. have my own fate. Mm. I'll live against the fate that God gives me and tries to escape it. Mm. it, it and that's why, in fact, he kills his father. So the punishment in the early interpretation, genuine interpretation, mm. is that Oedipus is punished because he does not, in a way, believe the fate that God gives him. He is punished because, in a way, he is not following God's orders, but the right. fate that the oracle or the astrologer gives him. But today, we are, he is punished, or he self-punishes. That's how we read it, because he killed his father. So we are busy with that. Right. <laughs> so what, what we should do now, we should try to, to, to sort of fit those myths into your story, right? So the guy who tells the Oedipus myth is Shem, who's, who's this uh, aspiring author, uh, has left his father that he never sees, and to earn money for, for his uh, tuition for, to go to university, he does a summer of well digging. And then he meets Mahmoud. And they exchange these stories, right? Shem uh, uh, tells the story of Oedipus, and Mahmoud tells the story of Rostam. And none of them are really happy with, with each other's stories it's in quick. a sense. Yeah. I'm a bit, I may be a bit clumsy in that part of the book, but it's quick. But I'm sure that I will come, uh, the second part of the book elaborates the stories and comparison more. There I'm leaving hints, right. preparing the reader. Uh -huh. right. so, so I don't harm the fastness of the story in the first part. I have to now confess in a very friendly mood that all my readers <laughs> in Turkey told me, oh, the first part is great, Mr. Pamuk, but we are not happy with the second part right. as much. <laughs> <laughs> uh -huh. The first part is more focused on Weldigen and more realist. Second part of the novel is more pensive, intellectual or yes. comparative literature kind of. I'm sorry for that, but that happens in literature. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm not sure if I agree uh, in, at that, but I, I mean, we, we will come back to Weldigen, but just to sort of get the... The second part of the novel is, is sort of the part where these myths uh, live themselves out, where that, that exact sort of 
dynamics and mechanics of the myth. You can't avoid it. It will happen to you anyway. They, they do everything to avoid it, or Shem does, and it still happens. That's sort of... I mean, that would be one way of reading the second that's part of the book. Tragedy. That's, that's tragedy. That's tragedy. Yeah, and it is tragedy. Or that's also... Hitchcock knew very, knew very well about tragedy. So you know that some mean guy is going to kill our below with uh, some person that we identify with me, Grace Kelly may perhaps, and then something <laughs> is bad coming. We even want to shout, stop, stop. Yeah. Uh, uh, so the role of... Uh, these stories have that effect in the reading of the book. I was well aware of it when I was writing, thinking of the book. Once I underline these big stories and tell the readers uh, carefully that they are canonical, then the reader, of course, is thinking, okay, let's see what Pamuk will do with this. And also they are also <laughs> uh, in a situation of a film a person watching a film by Hitchcock. Mm. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So you fooled me, at least. Yeah, uh -huh. yeah, yeah. So the, the interesting thing then in the second, second part is that that myth is sort of connected to a certain... Um, certain way of life that you see in Istanbul, a certain, certain category of people that, that earn a lot of money at the moment in speculating in property. And, and you said before that your first novel was sort of in, in the inner part of Istanbul. This is really in the suburbs. This, uh, yes. this is industrialization going into the suburbs. People like making lots of money, buying up land and selling it to factories. And that's sort of the, that's what, I wouldn't say tragedy, but that's sort of where the myth plays out, sort of. Okay, but first we have to say this. Uh, that I, uh, in my early novels, I was in my um, um, little neighborhood of Nishantashu, uh, upper, uh, upper middle class. Then I moved out, bigger circles, bigger circles. I already wrote in a panoramic and epic way, in a strangest in my mind, in my previous novel, uh, um, that uh, the development of Istanbul or the high rises or a city going uh, suddenly uh, booming. Uh, maybe I have to tell this, when I was born into Istanbul, it was a city of a million, now they say it's 17 million. The change, I've been living there 64 years, the change in first 50 years is less than the change I've seen in the last 14 years. That I sit in my office and look at the Asian side, there are the first hills, then the uh, outer far distant hills, there are mushrooming of high-rises and high-rises um, in the last five years. Mm. They are like mushrooms. Mm. So I see this. I'm in it. And I wrote about it extensively, exhaustively, perhaps finishing, exhausting the subject in realistic, epic, uh, panoramic way. Mm. Mm. Now, this time, I don't go too much into the details of business, construction, politics of it, many, many details of it. Here we are more poetic or more uh, fast or mm. more brief. Mm. Uh, yes, uh, maybe it's more related in my uh, um, thematic story that it's fathers and sons is important here in construction business. Uh, my main character's father is a leftist. Mm. Uh, and suffers, goes to jail, maybe tor tortured, uh, and is an absent father like my father for mm. political reasons. He is not around. My father, mm. for other reasons, would disappear. So there is also a sentiment about yeah. search of a father, why we have a father. These are the inner sentiments that I, uh, for which I carried this book. We need a father. 
We want a father. We don't want a father. Right. We, want a right. we want to be individual. We don't want father. Yeah. We are Oedipus. Right. We want a father that's necessary. It protects and makes you feel well. Then we are Sohrab or whatever. These were the sentiments in me mm. too. They went into making the book. Um, uh, but the book is not busy. The novel is not busy about detailing the construction business, development of high-rises, cutthroat politics behind it. I all did this in a strangers in my mind. Mm. Here I'm more busy with psychological, uh, sentimental story of some, a person whose father suffers because of idealist politics, mm. while the son is, uh, guilt, feels guilty because he cares about making money and is not as politically motivated or idealist, so right, to speak, right, as right. his father. Right. Yeah, and at this point, he's also made an attempt at finding another father, right, in his master. Yes. That's, sort of, that's where the sort of father-son, the, the father-son relationship that, we, that you described for us in the book is also the master-apprentice, that he, he looks to his master in well-digging and hopes that he would become his father. But yes. it doesn't really work out. Right? I was self-conscious about that. Mm. I wanted the reader also feel that Jem doesn't have mm. the presence of his father or what Freud would have called transfers. Mm. This is a case of transference. Instead of his father, he transfers it at least for one summer to this person. Um, uh, and yes, that is also it was important for me for the reader to identify with the unfolding of the story. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's part of, that's kind of scary, I think, that part because it's that sort of he he wants so much to love his father, and he 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 wants so much his father to be a loving father that he comes to hate him in a certain yes. certain way. It's, sort of, okay. it's a very I'm, ambivalent relationship, okay. it seems. I am happy going in these sentiments, perhaps because they are. Uh, autobiographical, right. uh, and, and that I had a father like James' father for other reasons, mm. who would disappear for times. Mm. That also, uh, having a father uh, like him, and he was also very tolerant, very respectful father. As I sometimes said, I never had a Freud Freudian father. Mm. My father didn't help, uh, didn't put a uh, um, um, upper uh, baton. Uh, consciousness on me. I, um, um, I was not suppressed, crushed by a strong father. My father always was more friends to us and then suddenly he would disappear, uh, which also made, uh, but disappear in, not in tragic ways, just mm -hmm. slightly disappear. Uh, so these, um, and I would look for him, I would be resentful for his disappearance, but I would be also feel that my mother is also only with us. Uh, also that kind of freedom. That also helped me uh, um, help in the development of my individuality. When this character, second generation, Jem, uh, both is resentful of his father and also wants sometimes uh, for his absence, wants a father uh, and also is happy about not having his father, mm -hmm. or towards the end of the book, a little bit, a little bit uh, belittling his father for mm -hmm. his, uh, he's a loser or what. Uh, 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 these are sentiments uh, that may have come from my inner feelings. Mm -hmm. and, but you write a novel with these, then sure. you uh, ex uh, project it with uh, uh, other stories, other myths, other realistic stories, or other myths also help. Right. 
So in a second, we're going to talk about why there all there all this uh, talk about fathers and sons, and the, the the novel is still called after a woman, which is sort of an interesting thing about this. But but I just want to do one more thing with this because there's there's something about the father and son relationship that is similar to the master and apprentice relationship. Mm -hmm. uh, and I mean, you, you have a you've 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 have shown an interest in old crafts before in the craft of miniature painting. Uh, which is then very different from the craft of, of well digging, but it's it's still this fascination for a craft, for for a dying craft that is yes. now probably died out, and the fact that it's a craft that can be taught, but only from a master to an apprentice. That means the only way to teach is to subject to that kind of authoritarian maybe relationship. That's sort of what's going on, isn't it? Yes, all medieval teaching is based on master and uh, master and. Um, disciple, uh, maybe shadows of master and slave relationship, uh, um, but crafts continue. Uh, our um, information about many, many things continue uh, because of these relationships, mm -hmm. but these are tender relationships, exactly. uh, not only a, a, a very author a, a master crushing the slave is not only a way of understanding it, but there is also the um, charisma of the father, mm. lovability of uh, the, the the father be lovable, and mm. uh, so it's a tender, not only uh, uh, based on hard force, but also a tender relationship. Mm. So it was the friendship that the well digger and the, the uh, apprentice has was important for me. Mm. May I, may I say something? This light is too strong on my left eye. I have a problem with my retina. Can we lower the light a bit, a bit? So I'm also doing this all the time. I feel embarrassed. <laughs> Can uh, this is a, a strong light? Um, yeah, I would be happy if you. Uh, okay. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Right. So. So. Um, the, the master and apprentice relationship also had, comes with, with sort of a literary trajectory, right? That we mm -hmm. were talking about earlier. And that, I mean, uh, this is a novel of education, the Bildungsroman, the German tradition for this. And I mean, you have had, in many of, of your novels, there are people going through a process of education, of formation, not always as explicit in the master-apprentice relationship that has to do with the craft as this one, but still it seems to be a topic you're interested in, how you develop yourself through certain practices and through certain persons that can teach you? First, all novels take place in time. We have certain, A, a character, 500, 300, 200 pages. We have the same person, but he's a different person. Mm. Um, novels work with time, and we have to explain. In fact, that's why we read the novel, why he has changed. But yes, if you have a younger character, then it's also a, a coming of age, whatever you call it, development of Weltanschauung, mm. accepting the world, whatever you call it. Yes, this is it. But on the other hand, uh, um, this is not a, a, a novel of a young person realizing how life is. No. no. <laughs> uh -huh. it's, that text is more focused of, on, on com comparison, uh, uh, absence of father, lack of father, more also uh, the, um, the, the desire for the father is also consequence of which is the, the desire, uh, the, uh, the legitimization of authority. Mm. 
Mm. In a way, you can read this book as an allegorical. I shouldn't yeah. be telling it this, but uh, the relationship between fathers and sons is also a relationship with understanding nation, the community, that the nations desire to look for authoritarian, authoritarianism, or nations desire to be respect individuality. These are what's at stake. But then I don't tell these things in the novel as I tell them in a simplistic way now. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for sharing them, them with us. Um, I just, uh, we're going we're gonna to move on to that also, but I, I, I really need to talk to you about wells and well digging oh, because okay, I, think, yeah. I, think it's, I think it's so interesting. Yes, uh, and I mean it, it isn't the first time that we have encountered a well in your novels. I mean, obviously, you, many of you in the room have read "My Name Is My Name Is Red" which starts off with the corpse in a well. Yes, right, and this corpse starts telling the story, uh, and that's there's what I mean. I you told the story about the well digging, but there seems to be more to you and wells than just the digging. Right? Yes, but then uh, <laughs> Joseph's brothers, uh, about which Thomas wrote. Man wrote four volumes. Fantastic is, volumes. Is based on a killing and a well. It's a biblical. Quran is also. There are wells. All uh, religious texts and big literature is about wells. Not they were important as literary things, but water uh, was important. Uh, not in Scandinavia, by the way, but <laughs> in in countries where there are religions grow. There were also not very visible water in Middle East, Southern mm. Middle East, where religion started. There were also very little water. And, and the well digger and finding water is important there. We don't, uh, they don't have springs of Scandinavia. Mm. Uh, and they have little water. And once you find some water, you have power, you have yeah. wealth, you have connections, you have a future there. So fire uh, and uh, finding water um, and a well is an important thing. Mm -hmm. Add to this, in my childhood, uh, in, we had, uh, especially in summer houses, definitely wells. Add to it that I grew up in Istanbul and especially when it, uh, the city grew so fast, especially in 60s, 70s, 80s, that even the most well-meaning and just municipality or government cannot give water to this mm. kind of uh, also unorganized illegal development. So uh, well diggers were important in Istanbul, in a whole Turkey, but when there's especially uh, uh, immigration to town where people, as I wrote in mm. uh, Strangers in my mind, were building their homes with their, there's no electricity, there's no water, mm. you have some shelter, then if someone finds water, at least you have, yeah. no, now you have a garden, mm. right? Then electricity may come, mm. but it is very important. Mm. Uh, so then, with many reasons like that, well diggers also, have power, and since there is some mystery in the uh, decision about where to dig the well so that you find the water as soon as possible without much cost mm. and without much danger, mm. as this book suggests, then well diggers also assume the powers of a person who has relationships with earthly powers right. or transcendental something, right. metaphysics, and do, they'll do a bit charlatanism. But the well diggers uh, before uh, that I had 
interviews with or conversations with when I was writing this novel, telling them honestly that I'm writing a novel about mm-hmm. Veldiger, would honestly tell me also it's all charlatanism. <laughs> <laughs> because they are modern. Because they... Um, uh, uh, because people's desire to find water is so important, mm-hmm. so elemental, you, in fact, the people who invite the person who would well dig the well would assume, okay, please find water where? Mm-hmm. Okay, and he says, oh, no, that's a little bit of something, okay? And, uh, uh, but actually, there's no such thing. Even, or, or perhaps there is such thing, uh, ideology, false beliefs, mm-hmm. um, fairy tale, uh, or su- superstition is mm. perhaps the right word. Uh, some uh, well diggers abuse it. Some mm. well diggers are modest. But even if you're modest, then the people say, wow, he's such a modest uh, uh, priest or something. <laughs> so it's inevitable uh, when water is needed uh, that, uh, that you project to this person who suddenly makes you rich or let's forget mm. richness brings you growth, vitality, water, so mm. important uh, that he is important. This is one side of That also makes well uh, related to mm. history of well, uh, wells in literature. Mm. Uh, uh, shamanism, he's talking with the earth. Uh, he's saying actually not anything in Bible or Quran, inventing uh, uh, stories like that. This is one side about mm. well, Weldingen. There is also the realist side. You know, mm. the India, they are construction workers. Yes. Uh, after 1980s, uh, well digging business w- went down in Turkey for two reasons: because these new machines uh, would go down, and they were wheeled, put on trucks. You, you would invite the guy instead of digging a well for many, many mm. weeks. They will uh, dig. Uh, uh, they had various names for these machines and find the water fast, A. And B, uh, in welding, and I, have, and I have seen many times, dynamite was used. Illegal dynamite was used uh, and also uh, illegally used uh, because you come across, you're digging, and uh, you, know, you invest for two weeks, and suddenly you have a rock. This is not in my story. And Either you, you do not continue because with a rock you cannot continue. You continue 10 centimeters a day while you were yeah. doing high, a meter a day, uh, hoping that it's a small rock. What do you do? There is a rock. Then when you realize with your senses, again, a sort of intuition, then the best is to dig a hole, place a dynamite, and warn all the neighborhoods, I'm going <laughs> to explode the dynamite. Mom, I've seen this. Uh, then you continue fast. But all this dynamite was... Uh, illegally acquired by construction companies that these well diggers were also construct making essentially wooden structures mm. to fill beton. Mm. Uh, but uh, also this freely, uh, semi-freely available dynamite was also used in 1970s by various left-wing and right-wing uh, groups who were killing each other, throwing them to mm. each other, uh, a sort of a continuation of Cold War in Istanbul or mm. all Turkey. Uh, Marxist factions and right-wing factions were many, many Maoist, Marxist, this or that, mm. and also many, many right-wing nationalist factions were killing each other and throwing dynamite at each other. There was a military coup, and, uh, and the uh, generals who had did that military coup made access to dynamite very hard. Right. That finished off yeah. uh, uh, <laughs> well-digging business <laughs> along with these new machines. All uh, old um, 
Veldigers told me. Uh, um, anyway, I'm interested in the story of a, a craft, a business, uh, like miniatures, or as many as I told, in you know, strangers in my mind, uh, yogurt selling exactly. or production mm -hmm. of this ends. I'm interested in the on, on yeah, this subject. You're interested enough to, to put it in the book, right? So that's yes. a picture of a windlass. I didn't even know the Norwegian word. It's a brunvinna, brunvinna, I think. Uh, I didn't know the word before. And I mean, you're interested enough in the in the craft of digging a well that you actually put the drawing of yes. the machine in. It's I thought that was kind of... It's based on a very technical, very interesting well digger draw, something like that. <laughs> I improved it. And you said, wow. <laughs> uh, and I said to myself, why don't I put it? You know, uh, uh, it's, it. Is, uh, it will lend a simplicity, yeah. uh, a childhood simplicity to the book. And, I, and also the fact that suddenly the guy said, was telling me, asking, I was asking I many questions, do we have, do we have pen and paper? And he read it in yeah. perspective, and he did uh, draw his, and it's like this, he told me. <laughs> so it was, I was impressed, and I, and I developed it and put it in a book uh, in that way. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. Uh, uh -huh. So but the, the interesting thing is, on the one hand, there's the windlass. On, on, the, on the other hand, there, there is this, and this might be interpreting you too much, but there, I mean, there's a whole set of stories that has to do with the underworld. Right? So Mahmoud is lying there telling stories about well digging that are partly stories about the underworld, partly about finding strange things, partly being kidnapped by yes. a giant. So there's, there's this, and I, I really like it because there's this different set of stories that enters the book that are completely different from the other stories, the, the myths and the fratricide and the phillies, the, not the fratricide, the patricides and the phillicides, right? And, and they seem to be important and also because... Uh, your your protagonist ends up dead at the bottom of the well. The, the well and the underworld and the heaven and hell, it seems to be something going on with that whole set of meanings, right? Okay, I like, I like combinations of imagery or uh, literary texts, literary fables, tales that come from different sources. There is also an allusion, not allusion, we mention it, Jules Verne, you know, mm -hmm. there is a, I'll forget the title, it's in the book. The travel uh, to the, the, the center, center of, the of the earth. They right. dig mm -hmm. uh, um, an unrealistic story. They start from one end of the world, end up uh, at, in the other end of the world. Mm -hmm. uh, a story that impresses, uh, not very realistic, but impresses all children. All, all, I, in my black book, compared Freud's unconscious with a well. Uh, and I really like that. I'm living in Istanbul, where they're digging wells for 2,000 years. Right. Be, uh, there was no uh, municipality giving you water in Byzantium, but there are wells that one of these uh, old uh, um, well done. There are also well fixers. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, that there is an old, what the uh, Turks call blind well. Now, there is no water in it anymore, mm -hmm. but no one goes there because, as you know, where wells, after a while, if there's no water, there's gas in it. Yeah. Uh, so it's uh, once in a year. Now they don't report these things in Turkey anymore. But someone goes down to fix the well, then he dies because they're not attentive up there. That's the responsibility of the apprentice who is mm. waiting up there. Mm. So even he's a master, he is also in the hands of yeah. the apprentice right. who may behave like, oh, I forget you, and the guy may die. Uh, and so his authority is also a fragile authority. Right. The master should be also friendly and tender to the apprentice. Being cruel and um, suppress him, he may have his revenge. Mm. 
uh, I've heard stories, I like that. Uh, uh, I wrote in Black Book what you find at the bottom of Bosphorus. More or less, I've, uh, here I wrote also a list of what a contemporary Veldiger, in fact, Nur Osmani, one of the Veldigers, is proud to say, you know, municipality always invites me, I am the master. Uh, uh, now, it's uh, more related to uh, very few people dig wells, only if there's a factory or the economics of mm. cheap water. Mostly, it's a historical thing. Uh, and first, every mosque has a well, so that for ablution, you use that water. But then, uh, even old Byzantine times, there are 500-year-old wells. What, what do people do when there is a well? If you want to hide something, if you kill somebody, if there is a research, if you want to... You throw everything into a well. Uh, uh, um, uh, so... The guy told me, maybe exaggerated, I found this in the well, that in the well, they sent me down, there was no gas, he uses modern technology, he's safe, he's an expert, he wouldn't die there, there are five now modern, almost European cautions, mm. he goes down and sees so much skulls, old weapons, <laughs> so much, old coins. So a well is in fact, may carry the remains of a civilization, right. what's left right. over, right. Uh, leftovers of a time, a period. When you go down there, you are doing a sort of an archaeological yeah. digging yeah. full of wonders. So I wanted to go in that direction. Right. Uh, when it was, they are digging a well in a barren land outside of Istanbul, which later in the book will be swallowed by uh, unstoppably expanding Istanbul. So they find in that part of Istanbul, the land is not good for water. It's mm. sandy. Mm. I know uh, the European side towards west in Istanbul, the land is sandy. Probably mm. there was a big lake, even one, uh, this early, the very early one that mm. I mentioned at the, uh, mm. many years early, told me uh, he's, uh, that there were probably a lake there because he's come across fish, big fish teeth or whatever teeth <laughs> underneath her. They all stayed with me. Then, uh, then I, yes. So I have no clue how much time we have. So I need to just do the things I really want to talk to you about. And then we can come back to wealth uh, afterwards. If you're not tired of wealth, of course. Uh, so uh, it's, this is a book uh, that has fathers and sons that have masses and apprentices. But it's named after a woman. So we need to talk about her, right? It, yeah, sure. it doesn't make any sense to talk about everything else because she's she's the red-headed woman, uh, the one on the cover in the, in the Gabriella the Rossetti painting. Uh, she's really the prime mover of everything. Nothing happens without her, right? Would you see that? She, I would say, triggers. Yeah. And her, uh, and also the reader is, uh, notices that she is, maybe I'm telling too much about the story, she self-consciously has affair both with the father and the son. Maybe I shouldn't be telling you this, but <laughs> I won't tell the ending. But uh, she is motivating. And then the theme of what Turks call Chadır Tiyatrosu, Ten Theater, a sort of a Bakhtinian, Brechtian theater in which imitations of advertisement, a sort of a primitive popular anti-capitalism along with obscene jokes, and uh, a, a sort of a, a interpretation scene, best scenes from classical things, or a potpourri of everything. 
uh, was very popular in 60s, or, uh, like circuses traveling around in Anatolia. I, met, uh, I wrote about it in my novel. I, it's a subject that I like in snow. Uh, in a more, they're more, uh, they more serious here, more popular. We have a, a theater company and a woman also. He, she is disillusioned leftist. They have political ambitions, right. like uh, comparable to Dario Fo mm. doing mm. popular theater with Marxist or educa educational uh, impulses, but it goes wrong. Uh, in order to raise money, they uh, they get more sexy or whatever or more <laughs> vulgar. I like these subjects. Yeah. So we have a character based on that culture of theater, an aspiring actress and series about a classical theater or Bertolt Brecht ends up doing this sort of thing. And, but she's a strong character. Um, and uh, the, in the, at the end of the book, we hear her interpretation of the story. Right. And uh, also, uh, uh, she's a strong person. Redheaded comes when uh, uh, we hear when uh, to underline her strength. Mm. The meaning of redheaded person, the, uh, the culture's interpretation of redheaded woman is slightly different uh, in Europe and in Turkey. Huh? In Europe, she is the redheaded woman. Is a more angry, uncontrollable person. Mm. Argumentative, picks up fights. This is my understanding. My part of the world, first, red-headed woman by genes, by biology, is less, and it's a choice. Most of it is dyed, mm. uh, uh, either in a modern way or traditional way, henna or whatever. Uh -huh. uh, but it is the role is that she may, she may have easy virtue. You can sleep with her even if you don't marry her. Mm. Uh, or she may be an aspiring actress, as in the novel. Uh, uh, that's that's common perception, not the educated perception. Mm. So if you dye your head self-consciously red, you are actually choosing a character. Mm. And that's at the right. beginning of her monologue. She says, I'm redheaded, but I'm, I'm not natural. With natural, it's mm. a God-given destiny. She chooses her redhead, saying perhaps to the whole society, she, she's also leftist, mm. no, in a way, I'm radical or I'm different. I like to start with that mm. in her monologue. Mm. That is also part of the novel. Yes. Uh, yeah. and, and she's also the, the one who, sort of, who says the, the, the words that, that are sort of lingering through the book. Uh, she says it at the end, that life follows myth. And she says it not sort of as a tragic insight, but as sort of a, a victory. Sort of, yes, life, isn't that great, people? Life follows myth. It, it's a tragic myth and a tragic life in the end. But, but she's sort of fascinated by the fact because she brought these myths to life in a certain sense. And in also her taught to the son, taught right. to the community. But I want to underline something here. That once we say life follows myth, and once we underline, as I do in the novel, the strength of myths, in fact, their foundational um, importance in civilization, maybe they're not important. That's how we perceive them. There were maybe the there is something a newly developed idea of classics and canon, and then after it, maybe we elevated them. No matter, they're important, semi-important. They have some importance, but I also underline that uh, my treatment of the subject is not 
Well, these people, or we all, are slaves to myths or tradition, to old stories. Yes, they are around. Myths, Oedipus Rex, or Rustam and Suhrab, and many, many other uh, symbols, um, relig uh, bought from religion, a lot of uh, iconography, or some iconography, pictures, visible representation, they are all in the book. But the book is not an allegory. The book plays with allegories, but the freedom of characters is also there. Mm. Uh, in the end, the reading of this book should not be allegorical. Uh, the allegorical, ideological, mythological, tale-like qualities uh, of the novel all combine to form my intention, maybe mm. I didn't succeed, a surface in which the realist story mm. continues. But the book doesn't you know, suggest, here is this myth, here is that myth, uh, here is the allegory. The result is so-and-so killing his father or father mm. killing his son. And uh, this is the result, uh, this, country or, um, this country or that country, this land is that, I'm not mm. saying. At most, I'm saying probably my part of the world needs authoritarian tales because they, uh, they behave like that. Or European civilization highlighted Sophocles' story because of its individuality. I don't say more, anything social more than that. While I'll play around these stories, pour them inside the texture of the book, then let the reader decide. Yeah, that is, is one thing I, I, I like to address still, and that's sort of the, in, in the myth, both of them, there's this strong, at least in the Oedipus that I know best, there's this strong feeling that Oedipus has done something wrong, that, that there's, a, there's a mistake, there's this hamartia, I think it's the, the, the Greek word. Uh, and, and so you, you end up thinking about, uh, how do you pronounce it, che, not Chem, but she, Gem. Gem, mm -hmm. okay, Gem. Uh, so you end up, as a reader, asking yourself, so where did he go wrong, right? Is that, so, so you end up sort of asking this question about sort of uh, where, if this is, if he's, he's sort of in a certain sense reliving a certain myth, where's he, what's, where's, where does he go wrong? Where's his, where's his hamartia, where's his hubris in a sense? Okay, right? good, good point. He goes wrong, obviously, <laughs> at the end of first chapter, first section. Of course, uh, yeah. uh, but I we can't tell, tell you what's there. Uh, but he I, does I, I, <laughs> It's a very realistic situation, yeah. psychological situation. I would have done that. I think. I, yeah. Yes, I've heard this from my Western <laughs> readers too. Uh, All right. uh, um, some of my readers, after he had done that, a crime I won't tell the uh, <laughs> audience. Some readers, some Western readers, lost their sympathy for him because for mm. them it was a crime, and they cannot identify with a person who commits that crime. Right. My answer to that, well, the same for Oedipus. We mm. never identify mm. with Oedipus. Uh, but I, I'm tempted by your question <laughs> and take it uh, you know, to the hearts uh, <laughs> yeah. um, in a serious way. Uh, I, I understand you. For me, his crime is not that big crime. Mm. Um, um, uh, in the end, that person that, I mean, now we're you know, telling the story, in the end, uh, the master is imposed on him. Mm -hmm. uh, he didn't choose that master. And it was uh, this whole well-digging episode 
was for him at least seems to be a little brief period of time that that he suspends everything to make money yeah. and return back to yeah. his normal life or his expectations yeah. uh, that uh, life put in. Uh, but maybe you may be right. Maybe you know our sense of crime and punishment since uh, uh, sin and its consequences mm. is different, maybe. Right. Uh, right. Uh, I took his crime lightly, yeah. uh, but I have also heard from other readers, not Turkish really, yeah. uh, that his crime is not acceptable. Right. By the way, so yeah. was a Oedipus. Right. 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 <laughs> so, there's, there's just... Um, there's, he has this inside gem that... If, if he would explore the stories, he would understand more about his own life. So he tries to do that, right? He He's tries a sort of an art historian for, yeah. uh, or literary yeah. historian uh, in his now affluent. Well, you know, he is now rich, uh, feels guilty about it, but also enjoys culture. Uh, so he f uh, follows... Uh, there is the side to that book that the first half is more thriller-like. They're no. digging a well, they're reaching for a well, there is an intensity of relationship. Then suddenly, this happens only in six weeks, I forgot. Then we have 30 years passing, even in the same number of pages, where the character is self-conscious and is also behaving like art historian, trying to understand his motivations about what he did, this unacceptable, right. or at least the crime that you cannot accept, uh, unacceptable crime, or he also help us to interpret the story. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. But the, the only the, the, the problem is that the only story he doesn't really investigate is the story he should have been investigating, which is his own. So, I mean, this, when, when he finally comes back and he starts talking to people living in the area where this thing happened with the well digging, they tell him stories that are about him and that could have helped him okay. solve the riddle of his life. Okay, but this, uh, this the book is uh, clear about. Jem more than once tells to himself, of course, as he tells himself, we also read, where the readers are aware of that. He is aware that he committed a grave crime, mm. but he tells himself, if you act as if nothing had mm. happened yeah. and behave as if nothing had happened, in the end, nothing had happened. Nothing right. happened. Right. So he uh, repeats this thing that when we commit a crime, and we all remember those tender moments in our memory, when we commit a crime, the first motivation, the first thing we have to behave as if nothing happened. Mm. Yeah. Uh, uh, can we sustain this? Yes, if the crime is too far away, uh, uh, and he waits to be punished, uh, nothing happens. I like mm. I, I, mm. I like what I did there, or maybe <laughs> I was wrong, but uh, that... Uh, that you commit a crime and you every day you wait the police to come and mm. nothing happens. Mm. While many years later, he sees that something happened. Right. Um, but I won't tell the ending. <laughs> so I, we're on overtime. I just want, I really want to ask you one more question uh -huh. because I mean, th there's this, uh, so Jem uh, sort of tries to figure out his own life by looking at these old stories. And, and the question is, and, and also, but he ignores the crime or he tries to forget it. So this happens in, on an individual level, but it's really tempting to think that this is a process that also could go on for, f on the social collective level, that, 
Yeah, that 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 people need, that states need, that nations need to sort of uh, investigate the stories that have built them, and they need to sort of face their their crimes if they're there. So, would you sort of? I, I see it's not an allegory, but would it? Could we think that it could be scaled up, and that there's a moral that is also a social and political moral to that? Yeah, it is social and mo uh, political, not moral, not moral, okay. but. Uh, associations with the way nations, peoples be, uh, behave. Uh, but if you say the ending is immoral, no. Then you accept this is an allegorical pre-modern pre tale. Right. It's not. It is Jungian, that is. Uh, if I don't believe in Jungian archetypes, but uh, in order to express what I did in this novel, the tales have, the book is perhaps implying, uh, have Jungian characteristics. Jung, follower of Freud, has some metaphysical thinking which I disagree with. Uh, that is, he more or less seems to say, we are born with these classical mm. tales. Then we all carry them in some parts of our heads. First we learn them. I disagree. Uh, and also, they are not that strong. Uh, uh, but in the end, there is a point, a Jungian archetypal point in my story. I pick up two Jungian archetypal stories. First, why am I not Jungian here? It's an exaggeration, but I, I'm a writer. I go with the exaggeration here. There are two Jungian archetypal stories, and I compare them, but not only compare them, clash them, intermingle them in various acrobatics mm. so that the reader enjoy them in the realistic level, also uh, is dizzied by, com uh, confused by them, and that's the beginning of thinking about them. But on the other hand, I don't assume to be an educator saying to the nation, well, look at this, you're authoritarian, <laughs> there's a crime behind this nation, that nation. I'm not saying this. I don't want to, I will say this in an interview, but I won't try to say this right. in a novel. A novel should be, in the end, open-ended, that it should be full to all sorts of interpretations. It should be full in its uh, exhausting of its story. It should be logically, com uh, logically correct in its realistic story. But the way it deals with myths, stories, ideologies, tales, telling them, retelling them, the ambiguity or complexity here is an is intended uh, right. that I want to be, uh, uh, even in a short novel like this, uh, be intense uh, or rich as an epic long novel. Right. Uh, this novel is perhaps trying to do this in a short way, mm -hmm. and that is um, um, what makes everything open to interpretation, because we are not, I am not, the narrative voice is not basing everything with um, uh, 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 galaxy of details. Mm. We lack details if you go fast. Mm. When you have many, many details to base the story, then myths or archetypes are not very visible. Mm. Then you need right. a critic to see them from a distance, while mm. everyone can be a critic of this uh, mm. uh, uh, story full yeah. of uh, symbols, tales, old tales, um, Oedipus, Sophocles, or Rus, uh, Rustam and Suhrab. Yeah. It's open to the reader. And also, the characters are also helping the reader to interpret their, their story 
which in a postmodern way, which they are also fully in. Yeah. Thank you so much. I mean, uh, this has been this is uh, this is an open-ended conversation. Obviously, we could have gone on for uh, for hours and hours, but uh, it's it's not an ending. I'm afraid. Uh, and I hope it, it left you with uh, enjoyment and dizziness, uh, just as the, the novel should. And uh, thank you so much for this Thank you so much for asking these questions. Thank you so much. You have been listening to Lit House, the English language podcast from the House of Literature in Oslo, Literaturhuset. Music by Apotek. <laughs>